This is Evidence Space GI, and I'm Philip Schoenfeld, Editor-in-Chief. Today, we'll be discussing potential GI side effects associated with GLP-1 agonists, such as semaglutide, which have become very popular for weight loss in addition to diabetes management. With us to discuss this is Dr. Sonali Paul, Assistant Professor of Medicine at the Center for Liver Diseases at the University of Chicago School of Medicine, where she is also obesity medicine certified and is quite experienced in using these medicines in her obese patients with metabolic-associated liver dysfunction, or what we used to call NAFL. And we'll be discussing the summary that she and I co-authored in the November 2023 issue of EBGI, which is entitled GI Adverse Events with GLP-1 Agonists for Weight Loss, Understanding the Risks. Welcome back, Dr. Paul. And as we always do, let's start by discussing why this is an important topic for our listeners. Yeah, absolutely. So thanks so much for having me back. So as everyone knows, GLP-1 agonists and then also the GLP-1 GIP uh, receptor agonists like trisepatide, they're very, very common now, not only for diabetes management, but also for weight loss. And they're very effective. And so lots and lots of folks are on them. I do think, though, that the GI side effects, there are definitely lots of GI side effects. When I start medication, there's definitely things that come up that I caution my patients about. Things like nausea, vomiting, um, diarrhea, and even constipation. And so knowing about those side effects is really important, especially from kind of a GI lens perspective, and also knowing kind of how to mitigate what to do when you do see them. If I understand correctly from our previous discussions, when you're actually prescribing semaglutide for your patients who are obese, with um, NAFLD and, and maybe diabetes too, you tend to gradually increase the dose to try to minimize the likelihood of getting nausea, vomiting, constipation in your patients? Absolutely. So the, the trials have always done it slowly. And, and if you look at kind of the insert for semaglutide or will go for weight loss, usually we do it as a monthly titration. So you start at the lowest dose for semaglutide that's 0.25 milligrams once weekly. You do that for four weeks and then you can increase to double that to 0.5. And after four weeks, you do one and then 1.7 and then to the main instance of dose of 2.4. And so that for most people will be enough to slowly increase the dose and mitigate a lot of those GI side effects. However, I have people that just at the point, once they go from 0.25 to 0.5, they have horrific nausea and vomiting. And instead of stopping those folks or stopping the medication, you can actually increase the dose even slower. And so instead of doing it for four weeks, you could do eight weeks, say, for two months and then get them used to that dose and then increase it even slower than they have done in, in trials. And there's mixed data about this, but in my own kind of anecdotal experience, I've had success with that. And I think the other thing is, is that prior to starting these meds, especially if folks have a history of constipation or reflux or things like that, optimizing those prior to even starting the GLP-1, in my head, makes sense. And so I try not to start them if they already have kind of refractory constipation and they're only going like once a week or something. So trying to get them to drink enough water, exercise, all the things that we do, fiber, 
Miralax if they need it. And on top of that, if they start having those symptoms, especially if it's constipation, I can you know go comfortably go ahead and say to start Miralax or do the fiber or things that we do to mitigate constipation. I'm a little bit more careful if folks have nausea. I think short-term antiemetics are okay for very short-term times, but I don't think a long-term maintenance for for like Zofran makes sense to me because then I'm just treating, you know, giving one drug chill so that they can use another drug. And so for those folks, I'll, I'll tend to lower the dose and see if that actually helps the side effects. If a GI doctor is seeing a patient who's on semaglutide or terzepatide and they're seeing the patient for nausea or vomiting and they're considering just discontinuing the medication totally, what kind of advice would you give them? I mean, I think potentially decreasing the dose first might be the better way of going. And so if they're on, especially if they're already on the maintenance dose, you know, I have someone I just saw the other day who's on 2.4 milligrams and has horrific nausea. And I do have to say, though, it is very hard sometimes to convince folks, patients, to decrease the dose because the meds are so effective and they're losing weight. So we certainly don't want to derail their weight loss, but at the same time, if they're feeling miserable and having adverse events, effects. And so I'll ask them to decrease the dose. And, and, and if they're still losing weight on it, I think that's, that's good. And oftentimes that, that alone can be effective. The study that we're talking about today, which is based on a research letter to JAMA Medicine, was specifically looking at the association between GLP-1 receptor agonists like semaglutide and other GI diseases such as biliary disease, cholecystitis, pancreatitis, bowel obstruction, etc. And this can be a touchy issue because patients with diabetes may be at increased risk for some of these disorders. And specifically, what this study did was perform a retrospective database analysis using the Pharmetrics Plus database of 16 million patients and looked at the frequency of those GI diseases in patients who are on semaglutide or liraglutide, which is a daily GLP-1 receptor agonist versus another anti-obesity medicine, bupropion naltrexone. And they did identify that patients who were on GLP-1 agonists were at increased risk for pancreatitis with an adjusted hazard ratio of 9 and were at increased risk for developing biliary disease. That increased risk in biliary disease might simply reflect the fact that patients on these medications had very significant weight loss, and significant weight loss is associated with an increased risk for biliary disease and cholecystitis, although I would note that the FDA has changed the prescribing information, and there's a new caution about that as well on the safety alerts with the medications. Dr. Paul, in your practice, how do you educate patients about the possible risk of cholecystitis or biliary disease, or do you even use the medication in somebody if they have a history of pancreatitis? 
Yeah, it's a great question. So I definitely tell my PIP folks anytime I'm having guiding them through kind of a weight loss journey that, you know, rapid weight loss in particular can cause gallstones and biliary disease and they can be at risk for cholecystitis. So that's on their radar already. And again, I think the, the, the signal with it is probably related more to the weight loss and less to the drug itself. But I also think that in terms of pancreatitis, I actually take that pretty seriously. And so I tell my folks that one, if they have a history of pancreatitis, I actually don't start a GLP-1 because of the risk of potentially not coming back or having recurrence. And so the pancreatitis signal is definitely real. And if I have a patient that is on a GLP-1 that develops pancreatitis, I think that's, for me, that, and for most of my endocrine colleagues that I work with, that's a complete, you know, we stop the GLP-1, we don't rechallenge, even with a, a dual agonist with a GLP-1 and like something like trisepatide. Another area of controversy, although it's not addressed in this research about association between GLP-1 receptor agonists and GI diseases is that these agents partly work by slowing GI motility, and thus there could be an increased risk for complications with moderate sedation. And the American Society of Anesthesiology has just come out with some new guidance about how patients should be managed prior to being stated for endoscopic procedures if they're on these meds. I know that's something you have that you understand well and have some opinions about, so maybe you could expand on that for our listeners. Yeah, so I know the uh, anesthesia guidelines came out and said that we should be holding these meds. And then I know our own GI societies kind of came out and said that there wasn't enough evidence right now. Well, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on which side you're on, at our hospital, anesthesia has come out and said that they won't actually perform anesthesia for our procedures if the patient is on a GLP-1. So for someone who's on a daily GLP-1, they recommend holding it the day of and the night before or the day before. And then for the folks that are on it weekly, it should be held the week before. And so we've had patients now getting cases canceled because their GLP-1s haven't been held. And so, especially for our folks that need anesthesia, we're kind of beholden to those guidelines. So just for the sake of our patients. And so we've been doing that. Um, and But, I, you know, I think it kind of, you know, I, I understand the risk for upper endoscopies. Colonoscopies, I don't quite understand there's obviously there's still a risk of aspiration but but I mean I think you know we're at this point we're going with what our anesthesia colleagues tell us especially for folks that need anesthesia. I think if you're going to do propofol with your anesthesia colleagues and their guidelines say that the semaglutide has to be held for a week or the liraglutide needs to be held for a day or two, then you have to comply with that. On the other hand, I do a lot of open access moderate sedation with Versed and fentanyl. And based on what our own GI societies have said, if I'm doing a colonoscopy on somebody who's on semaglutide and they haven't held it for a week, I still feel comfortable going ahead and just using Versed and fentanyl myself in an open endoscopy setting for those patients. That's something I guess each individual endoscopist will have to decide for themselves. Dr. Paul, thanks so much for joining us today. And just to review a couple of key points, there is an increased risk of biliary disease with these medications, but that's more likely a result of weight loss occurring with the meds. These meds do impact GI motility and increase the likelihood of seeing some nausea, vomiting, constipation, but as opposed to just discontinuing the meds, try to keep them at the lowest well-tolerated dose. And I think from what Dr. Paul said, it's very important to know that if a patient develops pancreatitis on the meds, you should stop it 
if they have a history of pancreatitis, then they're probably not a good candidate to be started on a GLP-1 receptor agonist. Please remember to subscribe to Evidence-Based GI on your favorite podcast platform, and please follow us on F, formerly known as Twitter, at ACG underscore EVGI, where we host tutorials every Wednesday. And please look for the next issue of Evidence-Based GI, which will be out on November 15th, and will contain the full summary from Dr. Paul and I about this topic. <music>